This is the Make America Grape Again podcast, produced and recorded by Cody Burkett, the Arizona Wine Monk. In this podcast, we explore wines from all 50 states in the United States of America. Hello, welcome to another episode of the Make America Grape Again podcast. I'm your host, Cody Burkett, CSW. And I'm not. not. One to be loved. Wow, okay. Um, Gary is here again with us as our not host, uh, as are Bob and Julia Dixon, and then Lisa is somewhere. Yes. Curling with puppies. Uh, Today we're doing Nebraska. Uh, I've got here the Glacial Till Vineyard 2016 Chamberson um, Dry Nebraska Wine. Uh, Glacial Till Vineyard is a family-owned and operated vineyard located in southeastern Nebraska. Started in 2003, our vines take root in the rocky, sandy, fertile soil, which, which was deposited thousands of years ago when the glaciers which covered the central plains of North America receded. This terroir, known as Glacial Till, is ideally suited for wine grapes. Our mission is simple, to craft the best wines possible from the ground up. Uh, now, this bottle was ordered online, but I have actually been to this tasting room uh, with one of my exes, the Carapocalypse. Um, now, that being said, this is a wine that stuck in my head that day, as weird as it was. And I regretted not buying that bottle at the time. And it has been a bottle that literally has been in my head now for, what, three years? Four Something years? Something like that, yeah. Um, since the, the Carapocalypse was, what? In your head? Well, I was thinking about it a lot. Well, so it wasn't literally. <laughs> no, it was not literally in my head. That's what I was thinking. Be nice, people. Um, anyway, so I was very happy when I was doing my searches, uh, for Nebraska wineries that would ship, that, uh, they shipped. Now, this is a different vintage than what I had in the tasting room, I believe... Uh, at the time, I had either the 2014 or the 2013 um, vintage of the Chamberson. How is Chamberson even pronounced? Chamberson. Yeah, and That's no, how I would say it. In the Deep South, it's Chamberson. Less, so, sh, as opposed to sh. Yeah, because the southern accent is lazy. <laughs> and sh is easier than Okay. Or, sh. Yeah. And now we're sounding like a bunch of steam engines. <laughs> it's right now that I wish I could do one of those African clicky languages. <laughs> Gary, by the way, is now lit. Um, Completely and totally. And unapologetically. Thank you. Uh, so far, I seem to be the most sober one other than Lisa. But that's because I drink wine for... A living? A living and for funsies. Yeah, there you go. Um... Anyway. Like the rest of us here don't? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. I'm like, wait a minute, dude. (laughs) There's a reason they call them tolerance breaks. (laughs) So when I tasted in Nebraska a couple years ago, I visited two vineyards. uh, James Arthur Vineyards in their tasting room in downtown Lincoln. uh, And Glacial Till on our way out uh, into Omaha, through Omaha, or towards Omaha. It's from the town of Palmyra, which... It's weird because I'm also associating the town in Syria that was Roman, that was called Palmyra, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, I guess that involves Constantinople. 
Kind of, sort of, but not really. <laughs> the difference is that Istanbul is still a living, thriving city, and Palmyra is not. Um, not only is it ruins, but then it's ruins that got ruined by ISIS. Um, so that's like doubly ruined square. Hey, I hear you like ruins, so I put some ruins in your ruins. <laughs> My okay. life's in ruins. Anyway. At ruins? <laughs> but I remember um, tasting at James Arthur um, with someone there who did not know what they were doing. Um, and uh, the wines there, and they had a Chamberson there that I found underwhelming. And then I went to Glacial Till and was like, wow, this is a really good Chamberson. But my luggage is already packed. It's probably at the limit of weight. Um, but I'm going to be moving to Nebraska to be with Kara at some point, so I'll be able to get this there. <laughs> the Kara gloves happened. The fire was on point. <laughs> <laughs> too bad it's probably going to be too quiet to, to register here. Snap, crackle, crackle, crackle. Um, so anyway, this wine was on my, on my mind, and I remembered liking this because I think at the time that not only was it a lot more richer than a lot of Chambersons I've tasted, um, but also the French oak was a much nicer component mm -hmm. than the American oak that everyone and their mother typically ages this wine in. Now, granted, American oak is cheaper than French oak, which is probably why a lot of wineries do it, but flavor profile-wise, I, I think that French oak is the way to go with Chamberson and this I know was aged in French oak. So I am unapologetically a fan of American oak, but I completely agree with the, what you just said. This needs French. This does not need American. Yeah, there are some grapes that need or work great with American oak. Tempranillo. Tempranillo, Zinfandel, Petite Syrah. Yep. Maybe even Petite Verdot, depending on who you ask. I get down with that. But there are other grapes that should not ever. Ever, ever be in American oak. And uh, one of the reasons why I had never liked any Chamberson I had ever tasted, I think, before I ran into this one and one other one in a tasting room in Kansas that was not for sale. It's like, oh, this is our last bottle. It's a tasting bottle, but I'll pour it for you anyway. Uh, both vintages were in French oak and new or, or very newish French oak. Um, Gary was saying earlier, this smells like it's got some new French oak on it. Maybe not brand new, but still very new. Not new by any means neutral. Yeah. And what was interesting is also uh, the importance of resetting your palate. Because before we reset our palate, we had just finished uh, two different muscadines, which were sweet and semi-sweet. Uh, we were tasting nothing but the oak. And then we reset our palate, and then suddenly all this fruit came out. Mm -hmm. Correct. Currants and, and cherry and mm -hmm. there's spice I can't identify in there. But it's uh, sort of a clove, but not quite. Almost, yeah, I think so. Allspice? Allspice is probably a good fit for Maybe it. a little bit of cardamom, but I'm getting more allspice. Mm -hmm. And it's got a really nice, pleasant sourness yes. to it as well. Like, um, like if a sour beer was actually good? Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> No, no, no. You are the only person here at the fa at the table that is shun the unbelievers. Where's Craig when I need him? Where's Craig when I need him? In North Carolina. 
But yeah, and that sour character is something that I do get in some uh, hybrids. Um, Julia, if you would be so kind as to read us about Chamberson. It is a French humidity tolerant hybrid, popular in the U.S. and Australia, but on its decline, but on the decline in its homeland, meaning France, um, is a complex hybrid obtained after 1945 by Joanne. Save whoever this person is, smart guy, by crossing Save Villard 12417 with Chancellor. Mm, Chancellor. There you go. Depending Sorry. upon who you are. Anyway, um, where Save Villard 12417 is a Cybel 6468 times. Okay, this is getting way too technical for me. So, Sub row cross for the complete pedigree. See, Brianna, whatever. Yeah. Okay. It was named after the Leodit Chamberson in the village of... Okay, say that. Bourget Chamberlain? In Asseri, southeastern France, where Save owned an experimental vineyard. And it, it was first commercialized in 1963 and was used to breed Regent. Apparently another varietal. It is very vigorous, maybe pruned short, but prone to melanderage. What's so it's a mala- it's a melanderer. So Oh the wanderer. <laughs> the wanderer. It I, it sounds like that would be what it is. Is that what it means? I have no idea. Okay. Google. <laughs> Someone Google that. Melanderidge. Anyway, resistant to winter cold but susceptible to chlorosis. What's chlorosis? When the chlorophyll osis. <laughs> Very nice, thank you. And drought. So glad you clarified that, Gary. <laughs> Thanks, Gary. Mid to late ripening, good resistant to fungal diseases, especially downy mildew, and therefore tolerant of human conditions. Which is why it's grown everywhere in the Mideast. Uh, we will be meeting this grape again, uh, for sure, in, the Pencil- in one of the Pennsylvania episodes, uh, where a lot of people seem to think that Chamberson is the big grape for Pennsylvania. Miller Andage. Miller I want to say it's One when... No, that's another condition. Fuck, I'm a CSW, and I know there was a question that was on the test. That must have been one of the ones you missed. Maybe, but at the same time, some of the information has leaked out of my head. I, I want to say it's something to do with a cluster, or okay. something to do with the leaves. Right. Andridge is a potential viticulture hazard problem in which grape bunches contain berries that differ greatly in size and, most importantly, maturity. Okay, I was that thinking is that. every freaking grape grown in this country. Yeah. Okay. All right. Sorry. That's okay. Also, one of these days I need to teach y'all how to read botanical crosses. <laughs> Please do. Because, oh my god, multiplied by? <laughs> <laughs> Give me a break, man. My degree was in history. <laughs> Rock on. Not everyone has a degree in plant science. I know. And, I, I'm and we're thankful that, that you do. We're thankful that you do, but man. One of these days I'm going to teach y'all how to read. Why not do it right now? Because I am way too inebriated. That's that. why it would be fun. And you can't see the glasses thing. Yeah, and my glasses are broken, so I'm blind as a fucking bat right now. So another time. Yeah. Corey. Party. God. Late. Please don't call me Corey. I'm sorry. It's okay. Um, so according to this, also there's five acres of Chamberson in Nebraska, and I'm guessing that those, most of those, well. I know that it's planted at uh, 
Hold on, I remember this. James, James Arthur Vineyards, as well as, of course, Glacial Till. And I remember going back in that memory. Um, the tasting of the terroir of those two vineyards is completely different, and the soils are different. I actually looked at a geologic map uh, later. Of course you uh, did. Because, yeah. And also, Kara was a geologist, so I was like, oh, this will impress her, and maybe win her back. <laughs> anyway. Enough about her. Cody looked at the geologic map. Because Cody is Cody. This is also true. This is also true. Cody uh, has a geological map on his bolo tie, if we're going to be honest. This is true, it. sort of. I mean, close enough. Um, but anyway, the soils at the James Arthur Vineyard site are more limestone-based. Um, and it really kind of showed in the wines. They had this weird minerality. Not the good minerality I get in a lot of Arizona wines, as subjective as that term is. is. But it was... Weird. Um, versus this one had that sort of more earthy character, and I am getting that a little bit here. Mm-hmm. Um, this vintage is definitely different. Um, it's a little bit lighter in color than that vintage that I had in the tasting room. But still delicious. I'm getting a little dirt. Like good Midwestern happy dirt. I mean, I lived in Kansas, so... Dirt that you... tastes good. That's beets yeah. or carrots. Dirt that tastes good, yes. Okay. Or mushrooms. Mushrooms. Or mushrooms. I could see a little bit of forest floor character in this. Not, not necessarily forest floor, but good, solid, peaty soil. Yeah. You know? Like yeah, and again, the, the soil that's left at the edge of glaciers was typically much richer in character. Yes. So when I was in grad school, we shared a greenhouse headhouse. And for those of you who don't know, a headhouse for a greenhouse is where you mix up all of your planting medium and have all your pots and all your supplies and all that stuff so you don't have to store them in the greenhouse itself. We shared the headhouse with soil sciences. And every year for... uh, Will you fucking shut up, please? (laughs) I am drunk enough without having to try to figure out what you're saying. <laughs> you eavesdropper, you. Anyway, the head house at the greenhouse. So we shared the head house with soil sciences. And every year for April Fool's Day, we would replace all the labels on their different planting media, vermiculite, perlite, peat, sphagnum, all those things. With dirt. Dirt. All of them. <laughs> dirt. <laughs> You're not wrong. Yeah. <laughs> they, ne- they never got the joke. Soil is the more proper term. My dad used to be so pissed at me. They never got the joke because they're all grad students and super serious about their degrees. <laughs> I'm kind of glad I know you now. <laughs> so, Nebraska. Uh, surprisingly enough. Um... Uh, the University of Nebraska-Lincoln has a program in viticulture. Uh, although, while Nebraska has apparently, according to Wikipedia, 200 vineyards, which seems odd and a lot more... Actually, no. Again, it's been years since I was in Nebraska, and I tried to forget most of that trip. Sorry, Nebraska. Um, but not sorry. Um, Nebraska, while it doesn't have any AVAs, has a pretty well-established <laughs> wine trail that goes across multiple different regions of the state. And the wineries are kind of split by region, but not by AVA. There are no AVAs in Nebraska, but I remember grabbing the 
trail map because again, oh, I'm going to fill this out. Anyway. Um, the climate there in Nebraska uh, means that, uh, again, most grapes are French-American hybrids and American varietals uh, because of the cold winters, hot summers that are long and lots of variations in precipitation humidity. Um, but then again, people are starting to grow new things. Uh, Whiskey Creek, sorry, Whiskey Run Creek Vineyard in Brownsville uh, produced the state's first Riesling in the 1990s. Um, like most of the Midwest, the history of the industry in Nebraska begins in the late 19th century, uh, by the end of which there were 5,000 acres of grapes in production. Uh, most of those were in southeastern Nebraska adjacent to the Verde River. Uh, but of course, like everywhere else, it was devastated by Prohibition. Um, but after the repeal of Prohibition in 1933, the remaining commercial grape industry in Nebraska was destroyed by this huge storm in November 1940. Um, and then it was basically dormant until uh, the Nebraska Farm Wineries Act in 1986, which increased the theoretical limit that a winery could produce from 200 gallons. You are just barely considered an actual winery if you produce 200 gallons mm -hmm. in Arizona. If you produce less than that, you're not considered a real winery. <laughs> wow. Nope. Uh, two, uh, two uh, 50,000 U.S. gallons. And yet, even in the early 1990s, there were fewer than 10 acres uh, in the state. Uh, the first winery in Nebraska since Prohibition was Cuthill's Vineyard, which was located in Pierce. Uh, since then, 28 Wait, additional... we're located in Pierce. Cool. Pierce, Nebraska. And oh. we got a Verde River. I know. That's so confusing. There are That's so Nebraska? many parallels. Oh, my God. <laughs> Coincidence. It's Wineception. Bong. Uh, so the second winery... <laughs> in the state to open uh, was actually James Arthur Vineyards, which I've been to, um, which was by Jim Jeffers, and the idea was apparently uh, provided by his son-in-law, James Ballard. And then he purchased uh, Rock Bluff Vineyards in 1996, uh, and the winery opened in 1997. And then uh, the Affirmation Research Program at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln was the result of a $111,000 grant from the Kimmel Foundation. And the horticultural professor there is apparently called Red. And he started four research vineyards, three in southeastern Nebraska and one in the western part of the state. And then the Nebraska Winery and Grape Growers Association uh, was also formed. Like I said, there's a pretty big wine trail. Uh, so for a state that doesn't have any AVAs versus Arizona, which has two and a third on the way, uh, to not have any wine trails is a little bit kind of crazy. And here's a state that has one that, granted, because the state is big and there's only you know 28 wineries across the state versus like 28 wineries in one area. Mm -hmm. uh, but still, it's it's kind of shocking. Mm -hmm. So it shows that there's an interest on the part of the state and tourism for for grape growing in Nebraska, which is always a good thing, I think. Please, sir, may I have a little more? Of course. <laughs> yeah, I, I like this, this I think. It's kind of tasty. Yeah. It's not the best red wine I've ever had. But uh, it's, it's 
it's fun seeing what everybody else is growing. Yeah, yeah. and you now again, this is better than ninety nine percent of the Chambersons that I've ever had in my entire lifetime. I've had this most is... of those with you, and they were pretty rough. Yeah, so, that's this right. Is the first, and I'd say probably I'll if I could get it again, I'd do it again. Yeah, I'd sit and sip it. Yeah, and again, like I said, Chamberson is a grape that uh, I have a couple other bottles of in the stash, and we'll meet it in other episodes. Uh, but this is our first meeting of Chamberson. Um, but yeah, this is a wine that by and large lives up to, to my memory of, of it, even though my memories of that period are a little bit weird and twisty. Not the weirdest or Sorry? Not the weirdest or the twistiest, though. This is true. But anyway, uh, on that note, let's make America great again. Cheers. This was an episode of the Make America Grape Again podcast, sponsored, produced, and recorded by Cody Burkett, the Arizona Wine Monk. You can reach us at makeamericagrapepodcast at gmail.com, on Instagram at, at theazwinemonk, or on Twitter at cvburkett. Be sure to also check out our website, makeamericagrapeagainpodcast.com. I'm Gary. You can find me on Instagram at greaterthanwines on Facebook at facebook.com slash greaterthanwines and by email at greaterthanwines at gmail.com. So for one episode, somewhere along the way, Megan and I have decided we need to actually... Yeah, I know, but whatever. I haven't hit the button. Mm -hmm.